Hello, I am Jeremy Eden. I'm Dan Eden. I am Ian Simmons. And this is 90 Under 90. 90 movies. Under 90 minutes. Okay, today on our show, clocking in at 87 minutes, we are talking about 2010's Exit Through the Gift Shop, directed by Banksy. My boy Banksy, my, my close personal friend Banksy. Well, he could be. He's an he's an enigma. So you never you don't know really know who Banksy is, right, guys? Yeah, it's true. I'm Banksy. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Are you Banksy? Um. Uh, Fuck him! Yeah, I don't care. He, he's not listening. I'm not. It's listening. interesting. This movie. He's uh, he's a filmmaker as well. Who knew he does uh, different mediums. What he he makes art of all kind. <laughs> now, there was rumors. If we're gonna do a little preamble here, uh, remember when we were kids, Jer and Ian? You might remember this as well. That there were rumors that R.L. Stein was like a conglomerate of writers. Yeah, he was an amalgam of like several writers did all the work, and like there was no real R.L. Stein. They just hired a guy to play R.L. Stein in the Goosebumps TV show and be the face of R.L. Stein. Yeah, That's I remember right. that rumor. I I missed that boat, but that sounds thematically appropriate to what we're talking about today. <laughs> it's so funny because he still goes to like C2E2, the same guy from those intros from like the Haunted Mask and stuff, the guy with the glasses who's in the Goosebumps feature at the end of Cameo. So it's definitely the man, R.L. Stein. But yeah. when it comes to Banksy, we might have a, a grade school R.L. Stein on our hands. There's so many conspiracy <laughs> theories bred from this doc i love this documentary let me say that but um i believe it was uh i want to get this right uh jeanette katsoulis from the new york times called this a prankumentary a new term for for uh this kind of movie and i thought that was interesting because i don't know where fiction ends reality begins uh, and i have my own theories about this movie that i'd like to talk about as we go well, I'd love to so hear what those. Do you, what do you guys, yeah, what do you guys think of, of this doc? And, and also, is it bogus? Is it legit? Uh, Ian, what do you think? Well, it's funny. When you say prankumentary, I think about the Joaquin Phoenix thing that he did probably right around this time. Um, I'm still here, mm -hmm. right? Or mm -hmm. I'm not here. I can't remember. Um, but that seems to me more of a prankumentary, like it's an obvious put on on, on his part because he was, you know, allegedly going insane and documenting, <laughs> documenting the process. This, it's really hard to tell because it's not like, because this came out in 2010 and it's not like we've had a series of Banksy documentaries. So it could very well be a one and done. And I think that's, that kind of sucks because I'm with you, Dan. I love this movie. I've only seen it twice, but watching it again the other night, you know, there's a difference between seeing it in 2010 and then watching it in 2023 with like the advent of AI, which I think like Mr. Brainwash, who we'll talk about is sort of the forefather of AI art, I think, in a strange way. Kind of. Um, <laughs> there's so much to think about here. So I don't care if it's real, if it's fake. It's great cinema. I have uh, uh, 
a take on on what this all feels like to me. I mean, I don't know if it, it, there there are times where it does feel like this is a bogus, like this is a, a fake documentary. But there are also times where it really does just feel like somebody who's like kind of angry that somebody else ripped him off and is like making this as a fuck you to the person who ripped them him off. You know, I I think it's kind of both yeah because i mean as the narrative goes on and and i'm sure we'll step through it it's kind of like well he finds out that what he thought he thought he was taking part in a documentary and he really wasn't so when all this footage kind of was made available to him he's like well i gotta do something with it and i'm pissed at the guy who sold himself as something he wasn't so i am gonna it's an f you it's also to say you can make a documentary. You just have to actually do it. And here's a great piece of art, Terry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Here's a great piece of art, Terry. That's the, <laughs> that was the other name of this movie. <laughs> Is Mr. Brainwash still around? Does anybody, has anybody heard of and hide nor hair of any Mr. Brainwash art I'll, since this I'll, documentary dropped? I'll do some Mr. Brainwash. Because I'm right just going to, here, I'll just say it right off the bat. Miss, I, here's my theory. I think Mr. Brainwash is part of the Banksy team. He's part of Team's Banksy. And I think this whole thing was a hoax. And I know this is a big swing on my part, but I'm sure a lot of people agree with me, so whatever. Um, I feel that Banksy at this time was angry at the commercialization of street art. I think he also thought it'd be a funny prank in a way to sort of what if I got this guy and propped him up as like the next Banksy or him, you know, he, he himself propped himself up as the next Banksy put on this big elaborate show. How much money would we get from that? How much like fame, how much, uh, you know, could we get off of that? How much juice can we suck from this? And then I'll prove a point by saying that any idiot can become the next Banksy and I'll do it in a film. That's what I think. Um, as of December 18th, 2022, a Mr. Brainwash Art Museum is open in Beverly Hills, California. So he is, see. he is still around, whether he is... Uh, he feels fake. Like, everything about him feels disingenuous and maybe fake. He, maybe he's Banksy, and then they just hired somebody else to pretend it's to be It's possible. Banksy. Oh, you know? my God. Well, I mean, like, what do you guys think? Is Mr. Brainwash his own thing, and he's just like this French ripoff artist who just did his own thing? That's well, certainly that feels like here's yeah i mean that's the thing is if he is a creation for this film or for team banksy to kind of throw everybody off or just increase the legend it's a hell of a performance and a, an extremely well-written character because the arc that we see this guy go throughout you know the film he's just a guy who becomes obsessed with filming everything and that relates back to a childhood trauma um, and eventually hang out with all these street artists. He gets the idea that he can, you know, make a name for himself. And he proves that he can because, I mean, there's literally a scene late in the film where he stencils, like, he spray paints an eye patch onto, like, a photocopy of something. He's like, there, that's $12,000. There you go. I'll sell that, you know, <laughs> next week. Um, it's It's a great kind of a rise and fall story, but it's not even a fall story because as much as he gets dumped and crapped on by the people that he was embedded with you know for the last couple of years he's still as you just pointed out making money making a name for himself and you know making quote-unquote art (laughs) art is one of those an artist such a everything about art is such a subjective it's the world where you can sell a print 
of something that's a totally Warhol uh, Banksy ripoff, and you can make $12,000 off of it. And even like with your tongue firmly planted in cheek and say, yeah, I know. You still sell to these fucking rich people at like Sotheby's auctions, and it just sucks. I think that that side of the art world like infuriates me, but uh, the street art stuff I love. You know, it's like skateboarding. Yeah. I will never understand art on that level. The 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 yeah. level of uh, being able to justify twelve thousand dollars for you know for anything. Honestly, like any of his stuff. I'd be like the max you can charge is like $500 based on something that's like really large, you know, at least for mm -hmm. paintings. Cause it's all just like anyone can photo. And, and that's kind of, I guess part of the point, anybody can Photoshop these th things now, you know, mm -hmm. like these, these could be made like, look at that to a point where he's just like using the same Marilyn Monroe hair and just replacing the faces of every celebrity later on. Didn't you, know? you think of uh, NFT board apes? Like that's all they're doing is generating new hat. Oh, here's a pirate one with a different background. Here's a mummy one with a different yep. background. You know, it's just, they're just but, uh, basically doing that. But here's the thing. I actually really like what he was doing there. Because the the two images that really stuck out to me, one was the I think it was Kate Moss, and the other one was Leonard Nimoy in his like Star Trek II officer's uniform with the Marilyn Monroe hair. Mm -hmm. For Warhol ripoffs, I thought I don't know what the art was trying to say, or if there's any point to it, which I think gets to the heart of what Banksy and even Shepard Ferry were kind of trying to talk about in this documentary in a roundabout way, which is there's no soul behind it, no purpose other than you know flipping through pop culture appropriating stuff and then putting out something quote unquote new but there's just mm -hmm. something striking about those images that i'm like i never knew that i wanted to see a new iteration of warhol with modern day celebrities rather than mm -hmm. like monroe elvis that kind of stuff but damn it i think it kind of works and it was really well done but this gets into the deeper deeper philosophical question of uh terry getta aka mr brainwash didn't actually create those as we right. get into his version of the factory, you know, he even rips off Warhol down to the, you know, the, the creative collective and the giant warehouse and everything. But he's got a team yeah. of graphic artists. And the one guy says, yeah, he literally handed me this art book, like art history images with tons of post-it notes and said, you know, he's got like notes on, you know, different pages and stuff. Basically go here, put this into Photoshop <clears throat> and I'll screen print it and paint it. And mm -hmm. there's a giant robot sculpture made out of televisions. I'm sure he probably doodled that like, oh, yeah, make me a robot made out of TVs. And it's probably just a bunch of rope, you know, rectangles with, you know, circles inside of them. But the mm -hmm. actual artisans who put it together, he's the artist in terms of the concept. But in terms of the execution, it's the laborers who put it together. So then who actually owns the art? It's Terry Guetta, because I'm sure they all signed contracts. But is that right? I have no idea. Yeah. I've yeah. I think he just sucks. <laughs> pure, pure and simple. I think he sucks. I yeah. think he's pretentious. I think he's full of himself. And I think he latched onto a style that he was stalking for years and just imitated blatantly. Like blatantly. I did that's not art. That's I mean, I, to to many it it's like to me well, it, it's not I mean good look, art. here's the thing though. It's like, art, but... Just to play devil's advocate here. Because I agree, like, I think he kind of sucks. And just like, especially the way he's at least portrayed and presented in the movie is, you know, he's you're meant to be like, this dude kind of sucks. But 
And everybody like, thinks he sucks at the end. Shepard Fairey's like, I we created a monster, like essentially. And Banksy's like, yeah, I don't really condone this anymore. Right. No. But what he's doing is not that far off from like a band that's just heavily inspired by a band who has yet to find their own specific sound, you know? So they're like sure. at first a ripoff of a, you know, something specific, and then they evolve and like I didn't bother to look into the website to see what his new art looks like. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of cars hanging on the outside of his building. It looks like vertical, okay. just, you know, like as if you would put it on a hook, All right. but you, All right. but you mentioned Jared just now um, bands who haven't found their voice yet. There's early on when Terry is like just out on the street filming people. He has some celebrity encounters, one of which is with one of the Gallagher brothers. I can't remember if it's Noel or Liam, but Noel. Okay, of okay, Liam would have punched his camera, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) But Noel Gallagher of Oasis, who when they first came on the scene, people were like, Oh, these guys are just the Beatles for the 90s. Um, that's true. So that's the thing. And if you look at if you look at Shepard Ferry, there's a little title card at the end, it's almost like a dig, like, Yeah, he created the Obama Hope campaign, but he's being sued by a photographer or be, yes. being sued you know whatever he's right. i think that was resolved i think he either pled guilty or settled or something but basically he just ended up paying a bunch of royalties to his photography it, it's been a while but still taking a photograph which is someone else's i guess artistic and intellectual property and then transforming that work into a national campaign poster and you know making art out of someone else's art you know Terry does have a leg to stand on. I would own one of those Kate Moss or Leonard Nimoy screen prints. You know, I'd buy a print of it and hang it up in my house, you know, for 20 bucks or something. Certainly not the original, but it is art. The story behind it can suck. But how many, how often do you know the full story about what you hang in your house? Right. I mean, Thomas Kincaid paints beautiful woodland fantasy paintings, but he sucks because most of that is done assembly line style by interns, from what I understand. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. In my book, that does suck, you know, just any kind of, um, well, I don't know, we could go all day, but it seems disingenuous. But that's, um, that's the thing about this documentary. It is invite, it invites those kinds of questions. You know, you can't mm-hmm. walk away from this with one opinion about what art is. It right. opens it up to imagination and discussion. And I'm kind of bummed that there wasn't a movie about the making of this movie um right <laughs> maybe there was we just don't know it feels secretive that's why there is none because it feels like it, it feels like a narrative uh, a fictional narrative to me like down down to like let's I, I don't know mr brainwash i feel is a spin-off of banksy that was created from this documentary that now has its own following and career and maybe it's a channel under the banksy umbrella and it just goes to his account you know what i mean yeah it I might. I mean, my question is like, once this movie is done, if Banksy mm-hmm. cut it all together and just like, just talk about the raw footage and maybe he wrote narration, how did he get Reese Ephens, the actor who two years after this would be playing the lizard in the amazing Spider-Man right. to be the <laughs> official narrator for this movie? Like, does Reese Ephens know who Banksy is or did he get, you know, was this a job from whatever studio bought the film? So many questions. I know. Reese Ephens is Banksy. <laughs> Reese Evans is bang. That would be there, if you've ever heard him speak. Oh my God! Right? Mm. I mean, it's almost like he's rubbing it in our face. He's like, listen to this voice that I'm narrating, and then listen to the voice under the hood that's all modulated. Mm. It's the same fucking voice. 
I think it, for me, I think you guys, I'll, I'll meet you in the middle as well. Cause I don't want to, I, I don't want to fight. I, what I want to say is you, you see it's, it's very obvious to see the pathology of, let's say a filmmaker who worked under another filmmaker and then decided to do their own thing. And their films look and feel and sound just like the filmmaker who they worked under. It's just like, where do you draw the line when you get your own authorship? You know, it's like, you can't just, you can't be, what do you want me to be? Like little baby? Like, uh, what's the guy? Wally Pfister. I don't hate to pick on somebody, but he's Christopher Nolan's DP. He made uh, Transcendence with Johnny Depp. A very Nolan-y, like B Nolan-y feeling movie. And I think that's an example I'm looking for. He's kind of like a Mr. Brainwash to me, but sure. like more legitimate because he wrote uh, uh, a more original story. You know what I mean? He didn't just screen print literally. Uh, he didn't take a concept. But anyway, like that's a different well, medium. I mean, it's a whole other thing, you know? Hey, I mean, it, it almost butts right up against the question of like, could any of this be construed as parody and therefore free to right. do, you know? That's like Because thing. if you are taking an original photograph and then putting some colors over it and giving it a new meaning i don't know mm. i don't know how a judge would rule that as parody or not right well i mean but... if you want to take it back to the, to the realm of of film mm -hmm. i mean you look at and and i thought about this specifically in regards to shepherd fairy and banksy and mr brainwash when mr brainwash mm -hmm. strikes out on his own what does he do he puts up an image of himself holding a camera now it's a it's a drawing based on a photograph of him holding a camera but he says he went to an artist to have him draw the stencil of him holding the camera and then he goes and he puts it up places that's right shepherd fairy became known from taking an image of andre the giant and making it kind of an almost an abstract stencil of it and putting that up so it's not himself he's the artist who did it um banksy doesn't i don't think he ever really draws himself or puts his own image up there but yeah terry is so obsessed with this idea of fame and having his own legacy being literally his face but if yeah. you look at the world of filmmaking what did tarantino do he started out by appropriating like the kind of the hong kong action films that he liked like with reservoir dogs i've seen side to side comparisons of was it uh not city on fire it's one of the john woo films Mm -hmm. side to side with scenes from Reservoir Dogs is like, oh my God, the difference is back in the 90s, if you didn't work in a video store, if you just went to the Cineplex every weekend, there was no internet mm -hmm. to speak of. You had no idea that this was did, homage, uh, right? Did Tarantino work with John Woo closely <laughs> for years before making his own films? That's to me the difference. Well, but but what I'm saying is Tarantino did what Shepard Fairey did. He popularized I, something. Did Shepard right? Fairey work for anybody before he came up with that idea or did I, he come up is he the first to popularize that concept and then did terry just fucking rip it off because he worked with him i don't know but but my that's not my point my point yeah is, you're not you're 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 not listening right. to the whole point here okay well, but but and my point not might not even make sense but i'm saying tarantino started off as a shepherd fairy when he mm -hmm. struck it big and people kind of caught on to the you know the legend of tarantino what do we get for the rest of the 1990s? People ripping off Tarantino without perhaps even realizing that they were ripping off a guy who was ripping off or paying homage to something else they didn't fully understand. That's why most of those movies didn't work. And there were people like Lawrence Bender, I think, did. I think he made his. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Killing Zoe. Right. 
Kevin Smith, who also came out of that era, Brian Johnson, who was in those movies and worked alongside Kevin Smith to make Clerks in those movies, he went out and made his own films. Even Jeff Anderson made his own film. So you did see, and I'm not trying to put down the works or the integrity of those people, but they did come up through that kind of like factory mentality of like, oh, I'm working with this guy who made this piece of art. I'm going to make my own thing that's very similar to that, but it doesn't have that same feel because there's yeah. a perception of a lack of authenticity. Yeah, it's... I, I get it. I just, I'm not a fan of it. It's multiplicity it. rules yeah. is what it is. It's that it, it's, it's, it, it, some of them are copies and some of them are copies of copies. And, and, and that's what right. I think, uh, uh, Mr. Brainwash feels, feels more like a copy of a copy. Yeah. All right. Now that we put it in Harold Ramis, uh, Michael Keaton terms, we can move <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> This movie centers around Terry Guetta, a French immigrant living in L.A., films everything because he's a weird little voyeur. No, he's just obsessed with the Hi8 camera that he has, so much so that he doesn't spend his time running his uh, street, his used vintage clothing shop, his upscale vintage clothing shop that Beck shops at, apparently. Uh, he'd rather just go around filming things, and particularly he's very attracted to street art. And uh, so he starts. Who's the first person he gloms onto? It's that uh, space invader guy, right? Yeah. Because that was either his cousin or his wife's cousin. There was some familial relationship there. And then he, you know, he starts meeting Neckface, Sweet what? Tooth, Cyclops, Borf. I'm realizing, you know? yeah, Borf. You know, classic <laughs> Borf. Um, I'm realizing now that you know, like, even in his job. This is why it does make it feel like he's a fictional character who's just very well crafted because even in his job, he is not making the clothing. He is taking clothing and he is selling it like he's basically he's flipping saying, clothing. You're yeah. saying it's like thematically on point that he would run a vintage used uh, upscale uh, clothing shop as a yes. character. In this There's a lot of things I agree. I agree. So on point that it almost feels fictional mm -hmm. and perhaps is it's interesting. Perhaps the creation, the real piece of art is the creation of Mr. Brainwash. I know it's a little conspiracy theory, but uh, that's the fun of this movie, you know? Uh, who knows? But that is, that's what's going on. He is married. He's got kids that he is constantly abandoning so he can go film. I just love to film street artists. See, my children can starve at home. You know, I don't care. I just love to film. I cannot, be tied down. I cannot be tied down unless I am filming someone else tying me down. And then I am willing to be tied down. Seemed like a oh. really good family man, this uh, Mr. Brainwash, you know? Oh, I, I watched this with my wife last night, and every time they cut back to him, she was like, where are his kids? Where's his wife? What's, what's right? <laughs> I, this I like, guy, same. And he he just, like, he looks like a cross between Lin-Manuel Miranda and Ron Jeremy. Like, if you combine <laughs> okay. the two of them, you get this sleaze pog. Sure. And then yeah. if... The, <laughs> And basically took, no, I don't want to get there yet. I'm not ready to go there yet, but uh, we'll get there. But um, so this guy, yeah, he's not Mr. Brainwash yet. He he becomes, you know, he graduates to Mr. Brainwash, guys. He's Terry Guetta, and he's got thousands of high eight tapes because he's constantly filming. And now, like I said, he's getting really heavily involved in the street art community. And when I was a kid growing up, middle school, high school, and kind of gave up around then skateboarding was it, you know, Tony Hawk, punk, all that stuff. Um, 
and there was always like a lookout there was always skate spots to go to much like the graffiti tag spots there was always places there's a lookout guy there's a light guy there's a filming guy this felt very much like gorilla the skateboarding videos and stuff that i got into you know um i like this culture and i could see the the attraction that terry getta had to it um so you have that and it's very fun and it's exciting and there's tension because you don't know when they're going to get busted. You don't know when the cops are going to come and if they're going to be cool or not. And if Terry's going to be able to talk his way out of it, because he's kind of he's like a smooth operator in that he acts stupid or he really is legitimately stupid. He actually used the R word on him later. One of uh, Banksy's <laughs> reps does. Um, can I like, yeah, can I just go there for a minute and say, OK, that, like. I, I kind of miss the use of that, of that word in a pejorative sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh but man, like, you're really, hard. but I yeah. like, I don't like, I'm just going to say it right now. I, I wouldn't mind calling someone retarded because I never meant it. Like I never took it as like, you know, like somebody who has like true mental handicap. I always just like, you know, like a retardation does not necessarily mean I don't know. I'm just, I know I'm going to, yeah. uh, no <laughs> I'm not going to help me on this. I'm just saying, I, like, can't. I don't want to no. call people the F word anymore, but like we, did when we were 10 years old. Yeah, I was thinking of the Louis CK bit with the pejorative F bomb that he's talking about in your uh, use of yeah. the R word. Here. I just, I, I um, don't know. That's one that I kind of miss. It's just that the T sound, that T sound right in the middle of it makes it hard. Sound, uh, it's just the perfect we just need a new word, word like that that hits just as hard, you know, but has uh watch this be like meaning. we don't get we never get reviews on our show, but like we very rarely do. But watch this be the one time that we're like oh, Jeremy's yeah. use of the, Jeremy, I can't follow the show anymore. I can't sanction his buffoonery. Tommy Lee Jones listens. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to every podcast, every movie podcast. If you covered one of mine, I'm listening. <laughs> well, here here's the thing about that that word though. Because it's so shocking to hear now, because it's hasn't been used, you know, casually like that in a long time. When you do mm -hmm. hear it now, particularly in old media, I feel like it carries that much more weight to it. So it's not just casually calling us something like that. It does have that pejorative sting. And I think in the case of Terry Guetta, that that Banksy assistant who used that, I think he was calling it as a slur, but also almost like a clinical diagnosis. Like there really is he, something wrong with this guy. He, he was like, yeah, like just very yeah. casually being like i genuinely think there might be something wrong with this guy <laughs> that's, that's his, his gruff new york way of saying i think there might, this guy might genuinely have some mental problems um because like it, it's it's really just his obsession with filming and his his obsession with fame and how just how and we get there later in the last third of the movie because the movie's kind of broken down by let's let's meet terry and you think that he's kind of like the narrator of this movie but he's so I would argue unreliable that you have to get re-siphons to come in and kind of put the shit in order by saying, this is the street <laughs> arts community. <laughs> Terry followed them for months and months, helping them off and on, on posting their many prints on the buildings and stuff. And it this was nonsensical so untied footage is street <laughs> art. It's so exciting to watch. I mean, like um, I, just talking about it doesn't do it justice. You have to watch it. And, and Ian was nice enough to provide a YouTube link to us. So you can watch this feature on YouTube uh, if you'd like. Thanks uh, for throwing uh, me under the bus. Uh, oh, what? It's, you didn't, <laughs> if you it's didn't there. 
if it's there, no. you know. And just to be clear, like when we were talking about, like I was planning to watch this movie a couple weeks ago, I'll put it in my calendar. It was mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime, and I was like, mm-hmm. great. But then when I go to watch it, you know, yesterday, I'm like, it's not there anymore. It's it's it's, it's, it's Alderaan. I'd even check Just Watch yeah. like, where you go to see where everything is listed, <laughs> and it's like this is no longer streaming available anywhere. I'm like, no, well, it's it's gone. It's, I had to. I w- I almost went to the library, but the YouTube clip was just more convenient. Sometimes they force your hand, you know, then, you know, you gladly down the line. We'll, we'll all gladly rent it or even I'll even buy a copy of this movie. They have a nice criterion or something. There's a regular Blu-ray that you can get for dirt cheap that I'm, I'm going to buy because there we go. Watching it last (laughs) night, it solidified. I'm like, I have to have this movie. It's great. Look, two out of three of us want to buy this movie. It just as a work of of arguably arguable fiction is uh, is compelling and worth discussing here on this show, you know, in any show. But um, well, as far as yeah. the the fictitiousness of Terry Guetta or not, those mm-hmm. particularly in the scenes where he's going out with uh, with Shepard Ferry in I think they were in Paris at one point. Um, mm-hmm. Was that with Ferry or Banksy? I can't remember. But they go up on top of this building, and Terry's talking about like, "Oh yeah, sometimes I'd have to go up higher than the person I was with to get the down the the great down shot." And mm-hmm. you see they're going through these life and death situations. Forget about the cops, but they're like mm-hmm. hanging off of buildings, getting equipment, and filming up there. It's it's really harrowing stuff. So even if he was just a member of Banksy's crew, they're actually doing that. Unless there's oh, some yeah. big Hollywood studio providing rigs and jibs and all this other stuff, but I don't think right. that's happening. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. But I would, I will say, when we get to the Banksy start and we get to his big uh, opening, where is that in in the UK or is that in America that he does the elephant? The, um, oh, that's, oh with, uh, that was in LA. Yeah, it, it was. Okay, it, was in, it was on Skid Row. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, once we get there, you question his resources. The fact that he can bring a uh that bent phone booth with a truck and get a crew to bring it down and place it carefully with a guy filming it really makes you wonder like do you guys get permits like does banksy get permits and if so that's not really gorilla or punk and like how many people are on the payroll and like it feels like very corporatized the whole banksy uh ink doesn't well one could argue that the entire idea of an art show is Mm -hmm. kind of like feels that way okay uh, you know because you're you're like you know there's a difference between doing the street art and putting it out there because you want to make the art and that's that versus mm-hmm. like charging people money to come in and selling all of the works for thousands of dollars seemingly arbitrarily i i don't know like how these pr- i i do not understand the the pricing of these pieces i don't well, understand how banksy makes money frankly if he's it, secret like if he if he's totally anonymous, how does he go and sell his art? Because other people are paying for his art. Is he the one privately selling it remotely? Is that how it works? There, I imagine it's some. It's probably not to say that he's a drug dealer, but probably something similar to that, where there's like you know different intermediaries that kind of help funnel the money. This mm. is unrelated. It, it is not within the scope of the documentary, but I think it speaks to Banksy's pranksterish nature. A few years ago, do you know the story about the shredding, the yeah. the, the shredded Banksy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For those who might not know, and I'm going to butcher the story, but essentially there's this high powered auction. I don't know if it was Sotheby's or whatever, but it was an original Banksy painting. And it was set up on this rig so that once the painting sold for however many millions of dollars, that triggered 
the painting to be fed into a shredding device that basically shred it to ribbons. And that was what they, what the person bought. So I don't know if that makes it more valuable or less valuable. That's the thing. I was like, when I watched it, I cynically was like, yeah, but now it's fucking $5 million unless he burned the painting as it was coming out. You know, he's, he's just <laughs> making more money. Like he's laughing at us. Even like he, he does feel like, and I was like, okay, here it is. Here's the, the thing I was building up to. Uh, Harmony Corinne just released uh, Agro Drift, which is arguably like his whole career is arguably a fucking troll. I feel like he's like he's somewhere between a Banksy and a Mr. Brainwash. I was wondering <laughs> where you land with him. Yeah. Um, I have not seen a lot of Harmony Corinne. I mean, he wrote Kids, which Larry Clark directed, and that was one of the most disturbing movie experiences of my life. Um, but I, I think the only other thing I might have seen of him was Spring Breakers which mm -hmm. I hated because I don't know, there was just something really exploitive and in your face about it. And I was like, these people are all dirt bags. And I don't care. And maybe that's the point, but you know, when you get into your mid thirties and you start having kids, you're like, there's only so much nihilism I can take. I'm not 25 anymore. <laughs> what a difference a decade makes. He feels to me, like I said, somewhere between those two artists, like he's like, is the joke on us? Do you, are you really passionate about this bullshit? Like, what is it? And you will never know because he's just like he always seems like he's like in his interviews, like <laughs> just like, <laughs> OK, dude. All right. You're a fucking troll. Uh, it's but, hard but, to latch on to these artists when like, I don't know, I guess there's Andy Kaufman. There's always room for Andy Kaufman. So I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, no, but but even with Spring Breakers as an example, who is using who? Because there are a couple of. I don't remember who they were, but they were like Disney princesses or basically teen actresses who yeah. had come up through that like CW Disney system. And this was mm -hmm. their chance to say, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm going to like have threesomes in a pool with James Franco and show off my boobs and all this other stuff. So yeah. was he exploiting that to help sell this movie or were, were they using him as a chance as a vehicle? You know, he was a name and James Franco was a name and all that stuff. So, yeah, it just gets into this like a robberous of <laughs> once usury. again, like making him make giving more cash to his career. And, and all he has to do is just get up on stage and go, I'll never tell. And then like we just <laughs> kind of go, he's a genius. He's <laughs> never going to tell. Did you hear? Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my just like I I got definitely deeper in vibes from uh, from Mr. Brainwash and a little bit of. I think Banksy is more elevated. I will say, what do you guys actually think of, of Banksy the artist? Is he like compared to your Shepherd Fairies or your other street artists? He does seem like he's in a, a whole other game, a league of his own, right? What I I love, and I haven't followed Banksy's career, but from what I saw, certainly in this documentary, he is my favorite out of the group because his art is very confrontational. It's very against the system now i don't have that within me where i'm like burn it all down and all you know when i was you know 22 of course i felt that way but now i'm like yeah we actually need you know electricity and police but i do admire that kind of you know middle finger spirit and i think the art's really good and i think there's that one bit where we're following him setting up the the elaborate stencil like he's cutting these things out on the rooftop and pasting them up and you you really see a process to it. Yeah. Uh, I admire I admire his work ethic. I admire mm -hmm. his messaging even if I don't agree with all of it. And that that uh phone booth thing was amazing. However he pulled it off, that is a singular vision 
and the just the look of it on that street corner with people gathering around being like what is this i don't know what to make of it is this a banksy i think that's that's terrific what i yeah. think is really interesting is stepping back kind of the meta dimension to his art because that piece was then sold i think later in the movie at sotheby's or one of those places for ungodly amounts of money and in that case i'm not clear if banksy got any of that my wife was like who is able to sell that if it's just left on a street corner i'm like did someone come along and scoop that up and was like well it's mine now i'm gonna sell this as my own personal banksy and reap the rewards that question's mm -hmm. never answered in the documentary and again you could make six movies based on what happens in this movie it's true i th so many questions like that and um from what i understood there were the more manageable pieces they would cut out the chunks of the wall and that's how some of these private quote-unquote private collectors would get them but yeah in the case of the the phone booth i don't know how that happened i was curious myself i don't know how he gets money i don't know how he gets to fund this whole team of people and put food in their mouths it feels like a cult of banksy you know I I gotta assume that it's like he does street art for a while until you know enough people notice and they go oh like this is a something you know it's recognizable like and, a Basquiat yeah you know and it's just street art so therefore nothing you can collect and then eventually that moves into pieces that can be collected I mean we've seen his art studio like he has a studio where he's got a whole bunch of shit that he hasn't done anything with and at some point someone comes along and is either like. I want to sell your work or he is like, I want to sell my work and gets it appraised through whatever proper channels need to be done, whether or not he's there, you know, in the room with those people or he has people do it for him is, you know, I would assume that the, with the level of anonymity, he seems to want, although mm -hmm. he is like somewhat friends with shepherd fairy. So it's not like he's completely, you know, like there are people who know him, you know, even it's, in the yeah. community. Well, and that, that brings up a great question is if I'm buying a Banksy, how do I know I'm buying a Banksy? It's not like Good he question. can, it's not like he's going to sue and say, wait, that's not really a Banksy. I, you know, here's my receipts of me making this art. Here's my identity, my name, my address. You know, it, it is unique enough art. You can tell that it definitely has a voice and a point of view and a style, but it's not so singular that someone couldn't, come along and, and rip it off. Well, even in the movie, they mention at one point, as Mr. Brainwash starts to do his own work around the cities and stuff, they mentioned that at, that was at a time when a lot of the other big street artists had moved into gallery shows. So they're like clearly just, you know, they have a studio, they're making a bunch of shit, and then they have a show, you know, and then people buy the shit at the show. And I, I again, it's just it, what really matters is like, how the fuck do you determine that this is worth $25,000 or something mm -hmm. like that? You know, as far as like my opinion on the art goes, like I wouldn't pay for any Banksy piece. You know, I like to look at it, but if I can't see like the brush strokes or something like that, I just feel like there's no, I don't see the craft in it. I see more like, Oh, like, Oh, you know, it's eye candy. And then I move on. Like I, I wouldn't, I don't need a bent phone booth in my house for any reason, even if I had like the means for it. I went through a phase where I collected, you know, art prints from, you know, people I like. I even have a Shepherd Fairy art print that was co-signed with Henry Rollins. It was like a concert poster show. But now I'm like, I'll just buy a really nice big coffee table book that has 500 pieces in it for, you know, 
50 bucks because I'm with you, Jared. Like, is this might be a function of getting older? It's like, you can't take it with you. What are you going to do? Who am I going to sell this to? Like, is there a big art market in, you know, Skokie, Illinois that I can <laughs> flip this stuff on? But, you know, there is something nice to be said about, you know, admiring a piece that's hanging up in your house, but whether or not it's a, a great Giclee print or an original painting, I mean, that just comes down to whatever turns you on. I mean, we do see an art collector in this film and she's really gross in my estimation because she keeps yeah. talking about these people as if they're baseball cards. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've got a Warhol. I paid like 20 grand for it back in the 80s and it's in a closet somewhere. I'm like, what? that's what? <laughs> yeah, that's the shit that I don't like. If, if something I don't care what it is like, and I'm not going to argue that any of this stuff is art like it is art. I, like I, I won't deny that at all. But if it doesn't speak to you on some level where you're like, I really like this. I want this. I want to display this. And you're just one of those people collecting. That's when I'm like, I fuck you. I like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that it's worth the money. Like you pay whatever amount you want for something that speaks to you because like that just speaks to how much it speaks to you. It's like, I'm willing to pay $4,000 for this because I love this that much. Fine. Like I won't deny you that. But yeah, twenty five thousand dollars. I have it. You know, I got one of those. I got a Picasso. Oh, uh, you know, fuck. What else? You know, like I just, I don't care. That's a, such a dangerous. Me- like I got it. The the Pokemon mentality of uh, collecting <laughs> is as someone who is that way, it gets very dangerous. Oh yeah, I'm like I'm a comic book collector. Uh, but I used to be like, wow, someone paid like $100,000 for Action Comics number one, you know, the first appearance of Superman. Like, I used to think that was so cool. Now I'm like, I can go to the, my local shop and buy a $1.50 reprint of that issue and read it all the same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, uh, there are certain things where I just don't feel like I need the thing. I can have a version, you know, a copy of the thing, and it's fine. Yeah. Sensible. Sensible men is this new podcast. <laughs> Sensible men. Well, I guess that kind of gets back to, you know, to Mr. Brainwash. I mean, he's taking stuff that is disposable pop cultural artwork. And I guess it's kind of bringing it into something new. But there are people who are out there buying it, even though they have to know on some level. Oh, yeah. He just hired someone to Photoshop this and put it on a canvas. Sure, I'll pay 20 grand because maybe someday I'll be able to sell it for 30 grand. But you know, that's still insane, but there's no like self-awareness. I wish they would have, maybe they couldn't because of anonymity or something, but interviewed people who show up to these shows and bought some of this to really yeah. ask them about that mentality and see if there's anything we can learn from it. Cause we're just speculating. Maybe it means something completely different to these other people, or maybe yeah. they just think of it as like, Oh, like the same way they buy and sell classic cars. They're going to do that with art. And it's offensive to us because to us, art is more personal, whereas a car is, you know, it's something that literally comes off an assembly line. Right. Although some cars like I get like I get it. If you have them, if you have Jay Leno money and you're like, I want to have every car like, <laughs> like I, I get it. It's dangerous, but I get it. Oh, sure. But even even that's a discussion because like classic cars from like the 50s and 60s, they had that style that, you know, the fins and, you know, the the giant boats. Whereas now, like, no one's going to be collecting, you know, a Toyota Corolla 50 years from now. Right. <laughs> this is to put on a movie set. <laughs> so it's a great automobile, though. I've owned one for, uh, for many years. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. I, I own a Toyota. My last two cars have been Toyotas. but I got a 95 Mazda. <laughs> yeah, I got, a, I, I got a Camry. Uh, no, we actually, hey, gave me the Camry. Um, but no, I, um, I get I 
hey, more power to you. Whatever floats your boat. I can't afford any of this stuff. I uh, so guys have fun. You know, have a blast. Have if a ball. You, if, big if, wheel. if any listener of ninety under ninety is able to afford a Banksy, go for it. <laughs> yeah have fun you know like I, I personally like if i can get a boar for a swoon or a buff monster even yeah. like or a neck face you know i'd be happy i need a borf <laughs> buy me a borf license plate no come along borf <laughs> uh so um okay so terry getta this uh french immigrant guy okay so he's following our first of all it, you know he's First of all, he he kind of latches on to Fairy. It's not really first of all, but like that's kind of his uh, teeing up to Banksy, really, because it's his in, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and Shepard is doing his uh, Obey Giant campaign, as we mentioned, which is a that that famous print of the the close up of Andre the Giant's face in two tone color and saying Obey in many different prints all over towns, etc. And he talks about the power of that image and how it can be just created from nothing just by plastering it everywhere as many places as you can. I find that interesting, that need to do that or that want to do that. And And that's, uh, that's the stuff I agree with. Like, yeah, go ahead, tag a building. I don't care. I'll look at it. I'll I'll appreciate that. But then it's like, I'm going to tag the building and then we're going to cut off a part of the wall and then sell it. Yeah. Like how the fuck do you, uh... right. Well, Well, on top of that, like, Again, this goes into the the making of Exit Through the Gift Shop. When we first see Terry meet Shepard Ferry, it's at a Kinko's. And Shepard Ferry has like taken over a huge amount of floor (laughs) space at Kinko's on these. I've never known Kinko's be able to print something that freaking big. Maybe they did banners. I I guess they did banners, but he's like literally taken over the floor and he's cutting these giant pieces of paper out. I'm like, there's nobody, there's a few people else around, but no one seems to be commenting on it or bothered by it. It just seemed very strange to me. It's, it was amazing to me. Cause like, I, I imagine around this time he's fairly popular. It's just kind of nobody, everybody knows the name. They probably don't know the face, but they do know the art. And there here he is making the art in, in, in the Kinko's. You can just meet him, but like, nobody oh, gives a shit. Like, if there was like yeah. you could theoretically arrest the guy like ahead of time for like <laughs> look we know what you're doing I suppose uh well, I, I the thing is I don't know about that timeline because he mentions that he met Shepard Ferry in 2000 I think mm-hmm. and this was this would have been around that time so the whole obey camp the the Obama campaign was 2008 so like the commercialization of Obey would probably be a couple years before that. But so Shepard Ferry is probably still known in the street art community. Well, yeah, yeah. but an Obey B. There you go. Um, he's an Obey B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as like he's hanging out at Kinko's and going to draw a crowd or something, I don't think that's it. I think this is still very early days for him. Um, yeah. And still, he's still like, yelling at terry when he's up on a building with him and terry's got his camera light on he's like no turn that shit off because we don't want to get caught so he's not he's not the success that he would be a few years after this is still early days that's correct okay uh so yeah okay i guess you can get away with the road in this time so he meets him at the kinko's and he he accompanies him on some of his uh art treks and uh, like you said he uh blows his cover a bit with the light post some of those obey posters but really what he's getting at is he wants to meet this guy banksy that everybody seems to be uh talking about right the, the elusive banksy he wants an so in. elusive that he's done a guest spot on the simpsons that's how that's how <laughs> elusive he is as an artist 
Um, so eventually he gets his in in the spring of 2006 when Banksy is visiting L.A. And there's a complication when his usual accomplice is turned back at the border control. So he has to cut. He's like, do you know it? And then you get cut to interviews of Banksy with his voice modulator, with his hood up, shrouded in darkness in his studio. And he's like, oh, no, I was looking for somebody. And I was just like, do you know anybody? And they're like, there's this French guy with a camera. So he goes and he finds, uh, he contacts Terry Guetta, the French guy with the camera. And um, he accompanies him. And this is when we see him put up the rat arts with the uh, the brush. That's the uh, the one that says, I'm, I'm dressed. I'm out of bed. What more do you want? Whatever. Uh, yeah, that one. So he meets him and he, he, he follows him for a long time. And... Uh, he becomes friends with him because he's the guy's got balls, Terry. He uh, he's able to go on roofs and he goes higher than him and he gets the angles and he's able to cover for him and he's able to, you know, really prove to be a a great number two in in these exercises, uh, these these art exhibitions. And um, I guess that leads to the Disney story. Um, yeah, yes. What an interesting time that they could have gotten as far as they did doing that, you know. I feel mm. like right now there's, there's security waiting around every corner who's just going to be like, don't even bother pumping that up, man. Get out. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. So um, basically, well, uh, it, yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was inspired by because it was right around the time of the Guantanamo Bay, you know, prisoner photos that were coming out and uh, or I guess like Abu Ghraib was, or was probably a couple of years before that. But in that same climate of like, what are we doing to people that we are keeping in custody? So he gets uh, an orange jumpsuit and actual handcuffs and he blows up. He sneaks it into a backpack into Disney World and blows it up and sneaks it, I guess, chains it to a a fence right next to a roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah. Coming down uh, Big Thunder Mountain and you just see, what the fuck was that? (laughs) We got to ride Big Thunder again. There was a fucking ghost. (laughs) <laughs> they stop the cart and uh, Terry's there to film while Banksy's he says he goes on Pirates of the Caribbean and he goes on a couple rides just waiting, like texting Terry like, hey, man, what, where are you? And there's no answer because he gets busted like, by security. That's another thing that makes it feel like a parody documentary, because at that point, he's just so casually like, so, uh, you know, I went on rides. I entertained myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like Nigel Tufnell would be doing the exact same thing in a certain, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, so Terry, he gets questioned for four hours. And these, this is how I kind of question the legitimacy of the story, as tense as it is. You can picture the whole scene, right, Terry, at, at the interrogation table with the Disney Nazis and the fucking uh, one of the guys apparently saying he's an FBI agent asking about the nature of why he's there or if he was with the guy who put up the doll because they heavily suspect that he is. And uh, they don't ever think to go through his camera until he pulls it out himself and he is able to delete all of the footage. Um, And then he hands it over to them and there's nothing on his tape anymore. Now this is, I assume, high eight. So I guess we can get into logistics of that if you'd like because we're very familiar with that technology. But also just like, doesn't that seem kind of like Kind of a bullshit story. Well, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just gonna say, from what I gather, it seems like from the evidence that is explained here, he he pockets a videotape. But I'm guessing there is maybe it was like a memory card or something that had. Right. He puts the videotape in his sock. Sorry, that's what Banksy says. So they don't. They're not able to check his sock under custody. 
yeah, it does feel like a little like if you're suspecting him of something, check his fucking socks. Yeah. Right. Well, but the other thing is the way he describes getting rid of the photos is he says he opens up the camera and it's the the way he's describing it. It's like he's the FBI guy or whatever is almost like right over his shoulder. And he's like mm -hmm. selecting the photos and then throwing them in the trash like right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then they let him go. I'm like, no, he just destroyed evidence in front of a Fed or you know some kind of authority a who's Disney there to, Fed. Oh, he, They're worse, right? But, you know, they probably are. They're not just any Mickey Mouse outfit. But my question is, and they just let him go after that. That should be some kind of charge. You can't just go into a police station and be like, you know, oh that 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 murder weapon. I just I'm, I'm going to burn it right in front of you. I <laughs> no. was I was trying to put it together in my head too. And the only thing I could think of is just that like, maybe at the time it was just, there weren't as many, you know, people weren't walking around with these types of cameras as much. So the, the security did not know really how to even check it properly. I don't know. Like that's the only thing I could think of is that maybe this took place right. early enough that it was not something as simple as like, no, just show me your fucking trash. Like you're not going to like, now you're lying again. Right. I don't know. This was, um, by the way, the Disney stunt was in preparation for Barely Legal, which is the the, the show we mentioned in L.A., where uh, Brangelina showed up and uh, a few other celebs like uh, Jude Law. He shows up in uh, in Terry's video. He and, was just uh, meeting Brad there, and they were going to go out and get a drink. Later. Was like, yeah, let's go look at some paintings, and then we can go out and get a drink. My question <laughs> is this. Terry, now, I know I'm going forward a little bit, but um, oh, we'll get there. So all right, I'll wait. So we're at uh, barely legal, which is a really interesting. Like compared to Mister Brainwash's uh, life is beautiful, it's to me night and day. in terms of quality, uh, and I'm not even like an, a really like artsy guy. Like I don't go to a lot of galleries, but I can discern. Uh, to me, well, what is generally a, a, and it's subjective, but I don't know. To me, it's night and day. That's all. I'll just say. It's a well-organized and well-put-together thing as opposed to just people just shoving paintings on the wall wherever they yeah, can that, find space. <laughs> there's that. There's that quality to it. But also there's um, thematically, there's it seems more cohesive with the elephant, which is the centerpiece of the whole thing. Uh, and it, it, to me, and I think we were talking about how what I think separates Banksy from those other artists is the message, is the, the rebellion, is the clear pushback that he's giving at every turn or challenging at every turn. And that to me, that shows just a reflection of that. And, and I don't know what Mr. Brainwash is about, except an amalgam of pop culture through his, his lens, whatever that lens is. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm being too hard on Mr. Brainwash, but uh, I did enjoy what I saw of the barely legal show here in this footage. Uh, what'd you guys think of the elephant in the room? You know, it's, it's a weird thing to think about, but like when they load up the elephant or the elephant gets off the cart and is like walking through the giant, you know, door into the, the gallery, I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. When it shows up later, and it's completely pink with like gold fleur de lis painted all over it. I immediately thought, like, is that some kind of form of animal cruelty like that just seems weird because it's completely covered like down to its eyelids. It looks like I'm like that. that I don't know if that's good. Um, but also I wondered 
is that a piece of Banksy art? Like, could someone buy that elephant? I bought the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't I, like for me. I like the painting of the elephant itself. I just assumed like, okay, this. I'm sure that they use some kind of paint that's safe for the elephant. They mentioned that it's children's faint paint, uh, face paint. Uh, after you know, shortly after that. But for me, I'm just like this poor fucking elephant has to just stand in this room, and like like with no room to really like move around. Like that's what felt worse to me is just like shoving this elephant in this warehouse and be like, look at the elephant. Like, I don't know that that felt like more cruel than painting it. Painting, yeah, I don't that's... give a fuck. Paint an elephant for all I care, as long as it's not toxic. Well, I mean, but that's that's kind of the point. Is like it is it is a, a weird spectacle to have this giant living thing as a centerpiece to your art. There's just something about it that feels not quite right it 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 almost doesn't quite feel like banksy i don't i don't know it's hard to say it's more of a performance know. art piece i'm not impressed i've seen the wizard of oz i know what colored animals look like i'm not impressed move on all right moving on <laughs> uh so after they realize that uh things are starting to become overhyped with barely legal right uh Banksy says, uh, we need to really show the basics of what street art is really about. It's not about selling paintings for millions of dollars. It's not about spectacle as much as just, a, it's about just showing the footage, show what we do, going to spots, putting up our prints, getting the fuck out, you know, letting the people absorb it. And so what does he get? He gets life remote control, <laughs> which is, uh, this to me. And this just feels like a spinal tap, like video within the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like where I'm like, this feels like part of the Terry fake narrative. Like this is perfect. Like this pretentious sort of it, weird hyper stylized editing. It's like, really not that far away from what Bruno tries to show the focus group in Bruno. <laughs> you know, it's just a talking penis away from being Bruno's video. And and it just matches once again, I think what if there is a theme, if there is a message of this movie, I'm going to say it's about what I said earlier. Banksy's upset with what he's – it is blending the lines of reality because he is upset about the commercialization of his art and all that stuff and, and, and the meteoric rise of all these street artists. So let's show us what we do, but also let's make it lame and also let's turn it on its head in a meta commentary at the same time with this Terry story, whether it's real or not. And that's the genius of this movie, but uh, I mean, it's all on brand. Every everything is on brand. Even Terry botching this feature because because he's uh, uh, pretentious beyond his uh, abilities. You know, but it just seems on brand. Again, to just play devil's advocate for a moment, couldn't mm -hmm. one interpret his video as a piece of art itself, and therefore? not subject well, to the that's some critiquing of a standard movie you know like i don't know like that's why um if you're if you're not familiar with aggro drift which is the most recent example of this sort of argument is the harmony corinne infrared movie which is more abstract than spring breakers in terms of its repetitive dialogue and its stylist and he uses his overuse of ai that he like just kind of randomly willy-nilly peppers into the movie people are arguing is this art or is this a troll and once that's the vibe i got from this life remote control it's like is this harmony corinne like there once again there's a legitimate argument to be had about whether or not this is art but to me there's no argument at all uh it's it's not in the case of mr brainwash <sighs> I guess that 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 is only a determination we can make after we figure out the legitimacy of Mr. Brainwash, because That's true. 
because he literally took these, you know, thousands of unorganized tapes and put together an hour and a half montage. So there was a Allegedly. vision. What? Well, yes. But let's just let's assume that he's on the level. OK, there was a vision of him putting together this story through his lens, probably with a lot of pretentious artistic overlays, you know, in terms of how he cut things together. But mm -hmm. if it is all kind of a work, then yeah. So it does kind of come down to artistic intent. The movie, the, the just the the couple of like the minute, maybe two that we get of this from what we see in Exit to the Gift Shop looks actually insane. And then you find out that the full thing is 90 minutes long. I just looked this up. There's a lawyer's edit on YouTube that is 15 minutes long because everything else had to be stripped out because of like copyright concerns and all that. But I'm oh. going to watch this thing at some point, like Alex and a clockwork orange and just lose my mind. <laughs> I feel like they would just play that at nightclubs on screens and the uh, LCDs in the background to music. And that's, there's your, uh, that's, that's how, I guess that's how it's art. That's, I, you know, I guess it, it is wrong of me to can say it's not art. It's just not the kind of art that, uh, it's not a movie I go for. It's, <laughs> it's not, not a film. <laughs> <laughs> even that is like arguable right like aggro drift all, once again <laughs> you know like it is not um, a documentary we can i think argue that it well, is, I, but yeah, this I thing know. i don't know either because and we have to keep in mind that we're getting into if we want to say the banksy's revenge portion of this movie because mm -hmm. it's right after this when banksy realizes oh my god this guy has nothing he's got everything but he has nothing to present so i'm going to take this idea over <clears throat> but it's He's presenting us all this crazy footage, like the start of the film and all this. There may be characters, through lines, a point. It might settle down in the middle and, and show more of what we get in the Banksy documentary, but from Terry's point of view. So until we watch it and find out, oh, yeah, he had all this great Shepard Fairey interview footage, but he just cut up all the hell where it's you know bouncing back and forth between this and street views and who knows what else and weird static changes. But yeah, I'm curious to find out how much of what we see of Terry's movie is Banksy's editorializing. And we might never know. Right. Like everything else in this movie. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the 15 minute video and it's 15 minutes of that one minute that we get in this movie, I think it's safe to say that it's a nonsense piece. Of oh, garbage. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if you were to sit down with Mr. Brainwash and ask him, what were you going for with this uh, life remote control? He would give you a 15 minute nonsensical answer that would put you to sleep. That's just what I'm thinking, because just the way he speaks in his, his interviews oozes with uh, pretension to me in, in, in the sense that he's trying to sound more profound than he really is at every turn. Mm -hmm. And uh, even when he's describing his art, I'm cringing. When he's talking about the Elvis piece during his Life is Beautiful, he's like, I put a, a toy Nerf weapon, a Fisher Price weapon in Elvis's hands and I call it Don't Be Cruel. It's like, like he's really like fucking <laughs> dropping a bomb on us by calling it Don't Be Cruel. Like that's, I don't know. I, I'm sorry to go so hard on Mr. Brainwash, but I think he sucks. And I, I to me, you remember Jerry Seinfeld comedian? He's the Orny Adams of this fucking movie. That's yeah. who he is. Yeah, you know? I'll give you that. Um, I'd rather just watch a Banksy doc, but this is a Banksy doc. It's like, guys, I'm putting as much of myself in here as I'd like. Let's make it about this fucking idiot and, and make it about a commentary about art also at the same time. Um, well, that, not saying I don't another, like it. Well, so. but that's another angle. Like, we don't, aside from the Princess Die uh, bills, which was part of 
if I remember correctly, part of an abandoned prank mm-hmm. where they're yeah. going to distribute all this money, but then they realized that it would be counterfeit. So anybody who you know picked it up and tried to use it could get in big trouble. So he's got this box of like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of fake money. You know, it occurs to me that if that had been Terry's stash, he would have signed all of those and sold them for a thousand dollars a piece. Yeah. Right. Whereas banks, yeah. you just it's in a box in his studio. Now, maybe it's unfair because we don't really hear Banksy or Shepard Fairey, I don't think, really describe their process or their art in highfalutin terms. They could be just as much up their own asses as Terry is. But the point True. of this movie is to kind of take down Terry and not them. So, again, right. that's unanswered is, question 5,000. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was an, a, an incredibly charming scene, the restraint that Banksy shows uh, retroactively by not he realizes how volatile and illegal like you know i don't think volatility is a real problem for banksy it's really just the the legal ramifications of that particular one but even like he seeing that he draws a line and practices restraint it was a very respectful and respect uh, respectable scene to watch you know um you don't it's true you don't get to see shepherd fairy talk about his process or anything and you know like I, I am a Yank. We're all Yanks here. So when I saw that Disneyland scene and I saw um, a Brit and a Frenchman go to Disneyland to hang a Guantanamo dummy, I'm like, the Yank in me was like, like this is cool and all, but like, this is America, man. This is my Disneyland. You guys are <laughs> fucking with my Disneyland? And um, I wanted them like, so really the analog for me was more like a, a Shepherd fairy. And I wanted to like him and I wanted to uh, latch onto him a little bit more just because he was a yank in this uh, narrative, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm just going to go one step further. I, in general, uh, don't really like most art that tries to make a statement about the world. You know, like <laughs> if you want to make a statement that's very personal and talks about you, where you're bearing a part of your soul, that's one uh-huh. thing. But when you're just like, Guantanamo Bay and what are we doing all these people and I'm going to put a thing in Disney World and it's going to make you think I'm just mm-hmm. like uh, you know what I think fuck off I don't care I'm going to go on and I'm going to go on Pirates of the Caribbean myself I well I no comment yeah I generally I'm not going to say I generally agree but my threshold is pretty high and I think we do get an example of art that and again he doesn't really talk about it. we see him doing it and getting it put up but when banksy puts up you know the the wall in israel and he puts up those different pieces and it gets a lot of international attention i thought that was really cool and interesting kind of provocative art i think it would have been ruined if it'd be like oh yeah this is my my commentary on the palestinian no the art speaks for itself and i think that's what one of the many things that separates banksy from uh, mr brainwash yeah mr (laughs) I thought the wall was uh, profound and, and beautiful because if you if we were to grow up in like a in a really oppressive country, you know, I suspect we would need art like Banksy's to really transcend for our spirits to really transcend that that fucking you know, oppressive environment, you know. But even that, I mean, you mentioned the the kind of the weird feeling of of being, as you say, it a yank watching these two. You know, foreign guys come in and, and comment and kind of take down our culture and the sure. way we're running things. Yeah. But you're also agreeing that, you know, Banksy is not Israeli or Palestinian. He goes over there and has this I, art put up that's a commentary on that culture. But it it stings a bit 
more, I don't know, possibly because that situation is more of a day-to-day problem. Yeah. Whereas Guantanamo Bay, Abu Ghraib, those are those are us outsourcing and offshoring our, you know, dark activities. There's to me, there's two schools of thought, and I'm gonna use an example that you'll probably go, well, the answer is clearly that they suck. Um, it's when it's when Bono and the Edge went to Ukraine and they played like a private concert for like the soldiers like underground. And like there's two schools of thought. One is like, who the fuck are you, Yanks, to just come in here and just like come in with your little pop songs and then peace out on your jet? And the other is you're you're just trying to connect with people and give them a little bit of light in their otherwise very fucked up bleak existence right now. So I really like I got to meet somewhere in the middle when it comes to all that stuff, you know? <sighs> yeah. If I don't Bono, know if, if Bono and the edge and you two were so like connected to the United nations and like, like if it, if it was like, I don't everything know everything they do. So politically charged, right. It's like, yeah. you know, they, they probably have like a special pass when you get to that level of like <laughs> entertainment, you know, politicians or whatever, like, but, Oh yeah, we're going to have you two come in here and perform for the troops. No matter which troops were in the world, you're going to get a uh-huh. YouTube concert. Right. I, I just can't imagine what troop is like, but like, in the middle of war and just wants to hear elevation. <laughs> I put you that you never fought in a war. You never lived in a, no, I, a I haven't. You're right. I'm just for, like, you know, I wouldn't, if I'm, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to. Yeah, it's easy. I, I pulled a, like, I, I was already going in an uphill fight just by pulling a Bono in the, just by saying their names in defense of them. In any context, I feel like I was entering a uphill battle here. I I don't know. Like, see, if I was like a, you know, a a much more famous comedian, uh, there's part of me that would probably feel like, who the fuck am I to like go over there and like, why are they going to give a shit if I'm there? You know, like that's just kind of the other school of thought, though, is they need levity. Like, that's that's all I'm saying is like, you got to meet somewhere in the middle. That's all, you know? I, I just feel like I I I, uh, I don't know. Now I sound like I'm like I, I wouldn't want to go entertain troops. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that it, there's, there's a level of pretension involved to be the person who's like, yeah, I can go over there and do that. Of course, they would love to hear me. You know, like there's that point of view or that uh, way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another way of looking at it, which is I don't know. I guess they're they're an Irish band i guess i kind of consider them to be like like an american band or at least like a pop cultural like a hollywood presence or an entity mm-hmm. but yeah there's just something about this this whole war in ukraine thing because it still doesn't feel real for like everyday americans i mean yeah they'll pull up the 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 flag on their social media or whatever but we don't really feel it it's not like world war ii or vietnam where we've got real skin in the game right. it's like mm-hmm. what the hell are bono and the edge doing playing over in in ukraine it's it's almost like they're just playing a concert over in another country it doesn't really feel like it has that impact maybe it means something to them i guarantee it doesn't mean anything to us writ large because it's not like they're coming back over here and saying you know we're doing this and we're going to dedicate our entire lives and the rest of our careers to Mm -hmm. to ending the injustice over there it's just like just a thing that happened and then people (laughs) forgot about it i didn't even know about it until you brought it up to me how did we get on this tangent i don't know we were talking about because we're talking about the disneyland all right yes let's cut it so moving on um so mr brainwash what does he do he gets placated by banksy basically he says your footage your movie sucks in so many nice words 
and he says, I'm going to edit your 10,000 hours of tapes and I'm going to make an actual cohesive documentary about street art. Meanwhile, I, I think you should go back to your country, have some wine, work on your own art, perhaps. Maybe, I don't know, just do something, generate something. And so Terry really takes this to heart. And he puts, he mortgages his business, I believe. He opens his a studio, his, his home, home puts it all on the line. As in true um, narrative fake character fashion, puts it all on the line, opens up a, his own uh, 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 factory, his own Andy Warhol factory with a team that he has on pay that in case uh, if he needs to alter, uh, they have day rights, so they can always alter his art. You know, but he's very he's a delegator, which is really shitty. Like, fuck, he's a fucking lazy ass is what he is, in my opinion. Or um, is mm -hmm. he an excellent producer? No, he's a fucking stupid, shitty <laughs> delegator is what he is, in my opinion. And he's got this shitty factory and a team and they're all printing and he's building up to this this show that nobody asked for called Life is Beautiful because he wants to be the next Banksy and he wants to do it faster and harder than Banksy ever did. And that to me is is mistake number, uh, I don't know, one and two right there. Number three is the art itself, objectively, <laughs> in my personal experience uh, opinion so um really we, we it's all just building now it becomes about him and my question was who's filming him now because he's in the center of all these shots of him plan planning or not fucking planning at the, the former cbs studios complex this show this giant fifteen thousand square foot show that he's supposed to put on so is it his wife who's doing all this filming or is it just team Banksy? Is this all just made in team Banksy's studio? And this is just one of the guys who were just with Terry from the get. I don't know. I don't know either. That's a, I hadn't really thought about that because yeah, at this point we're really switching from Terry's handheld point of view to him being the subject of, you know, his own rise to fame. And all um, they do is allude that his wife picks up the camera after the documentary, like in those little like Animal House style catching up titles at the end. So I guess it was his wife. Yeah, but I mean, it's there's not I don't know what her history of being a filmmaker is, but I mean, it's not like there's a like if someone asked me to film something, I'd capture it on a camera, but I don't know that I capture it in such a way that you could integrate it into a documentary yeah, you know it does feel like he probably hired yet another person to to do something you know because mm. he's, he's just blowing money left and right on people who can do shit for him he's like he's a I, you know what the vibes i got was entertainment 720 vibes from this whole mr brainwash uh endeavor you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and you know what i get at i get ron swanson vibes of saying all artists are crooks that's how i feel by the <laughs> <end of> the <laughs> that's kind of the message like it's and it's weird because like banksy has his cake and eats it too in the end by becoming by still being Banksy and becoming more popular with this documentary and selling more works, but also saying, guys, this whole thing's just a crock, isn't it? And I, it, but he, I'm still gaining from it, aren't I? Like, so it's just, I, I don't know, jokes. And th there's a, there's a famous quote here. It's from Steve L Lazari, Lazaridis. It's Banksy's former spokesman at the end in the doc. He says, I think the joke is on, I don't know who the joke is on really. I don't even know if there is a joke. And like, I think he like bites his tongue because he knows that Banksy, the joke is on us and he doesn't want to tell us that that's the vibe I get. I mean, so yes, I would say that the majority, like the very 
essence spirit of street art feels connected as we talked recently about punk in general and that mm-hmm. it just kind of feels like the real spirit of street art is to do it just to do it and the whole feeling of this documentary does kind of feel like it, it is all bullshit you guys are all falling for it to the point that you have a character named mr brainwash who is like <laughs> doing the exact thing that probably is happening to all of us we're all brainwashed into thinking that it means anything and that it's worth mm-hmm. $25,000. I'm going to really stick to the price the price points of these pieces of it's art. It's fine. It's fine cuz it is it's an obscene it's an obscene amount of money that he what he charges in that random scene where he's doing a call and he's just willy-nilly like just being like which one the Scarface, the, the large print, right? Uh, $20,000. It's just like right off the top of his dome. Like there's like half of my fucking almost half my salary. There you go. Great. Lovely. Just just from a, a stupid fucking Scarface print. Yay, America. Yay, commerce. Yay, art. You know, it's like great. Uh, well, that's that's the thing is because he doesn't at that point. He doesn't even have to think about like materials or labor or anything because that's it's probably like, you know, a hundred bucks to do the work yeah. and then the screen print or whatever. So then everything else on top of that is gravy. So it's mm-hmm. all and it, you're right. It does feel so arbitrary right off the top of his head. Like. I wonder if he had a, a ceiling like no one's going to pay $50,000 for this <laughs> rent. Or right. would they? It's, oh. And if you charge too little, then you're like, you're a real scum fuck of an artist. You got to have just the right filet, uh, petit filet price for your, your, your painting, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Except, uh, I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> I, I think I do. Honestly, now I want some stuff. Okay. <laughs> but, but no, it's it's funny because he does the whole like Black Christmas or Black Friday giveaway deal for his opening. Like the first mm-hmm. 200 people in line get an original Mr. Brainwash print for free just for showing up to, I guess, a free event. And it is funny how he's like, how am I going to make, you know, these unique pieces of art? And he's just like going back and forth, I think on a wheelchair or something like spritzing paint over these things so that each piece is actually unique. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a masterstroke. But then again, I would love to follow some of these people to find out what did you do with that print? Were you able right. to sell it? Did one person right. sell it on? Did one person sell it on eBay for $50? Did someone else go to like an art broker in L.A. and get like ten thousand dollars for it like there's a story here that that needs to yeah. be told and fuck people exactly. will do people will do anything for a poster like i went to the foot to the chicago the navy pier imax to see forrest gump one time because they were going to give a poster i was like 10 minutes into the movie i'm like i didn't need to come all the way for that I <laughs> this guys this is ridiculous <laughs> I'm, in, I'm on ebay i, I oh, no. look up mr brainwash yeah, there, here's one. It's called Hollywood. It's a silk screen, $1,850. Here's the the spray can, the Heinz bean spray, like the tomato spray that he does, that he where he rips off Warhol, like blatantly, blatantly. Mm-hmm. $2,680. Like, there's a bunch here. There's one that's $30,000, buy it now price. Like, it, it, there's a bunch here. It's fucking ridiculous. Insane. Like, I, we're in the wrong business, guys. We should be just sh- stupid, shitty French street artists. See, I'd be <laughs> like, if I were rich, I'd be more likely to spend twenty thousand dollars. Speaking of parks and recreation, on like one of the murals that they had made up for the show of like Pawnee's right. horrible history, I'd be like, yes, that was in a show I love. Of course, <laughs> I'm going to pay twenty thousand dollars. Look at this awesome Indian getting his head ripped off by a Pawnee. It's horrible, and I love it. 
Um, not, the, not the act. The no, no, no. Just the <laughs> fact that it, it, I think you're, what you're saying is you're into pop culture, artifact and art that has more value to you yeah. on a personal and uh, monetary level is what yes. you're saying. Nothing about Native American genocide. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> not anymore. So, yeah, yeah, that was, that's the old Jer. Yeah, um, that that so, was the way of the F word when we were 10. I was really expecting <laughs> the the mr brainwash show to be a failure thus like really bringing the theme full circle but really the theme is that these people will eat this shit up so it's a success and the show is a success so driving the theme home as a success and well to me jokes and on us i don't what know it really feels like like the the most direct statement that you can glean from the documentary it would be like Oh, he wants to expose the reality of mr brainwash therefore deflating any future money he could make which is clearly not the case because he's selling shit on ebay or at least trying to for thirty thousand yeah. dollars but you, like that's why i yeah. say it's a big fuck you to mr brainwash because it's really just like look what you're willing to pay your money on look it's a scam he's scamming you we're not scamming you we've got stencils you know it's just <laughs> kind of like <laughs> you remember the classic south park chin pokemon right yeah you remember how that resolves with the parents no oh, i forgot the parents start getting into chin Pokemon because it become they know it'll become uncool if they do that. Right. And all the kids suddenly say fuck chin Pokemon, right? That's the thing that, that breaks the spell. To me, Banksy made this doc and he and if we're going with the narrative that Mr. Brainwash is a, a, cre, a work of fiction, a creation, he made like this whole thing like it's like the parents getting into chin Pokemon. It's like, let me show you how fucking lame this is by having this French piece of shit do this stupid show. And like, I feel like really the intent was to make the art scene less cool with this documentary partially, but I think ironically it made it cooler. Well, yeah. And I think that's, you're right. I was expecting the show to open and nobody, you know, showed up or he was shown to be a fraud or whatever, but yeah, he was more, it was a rousing success according to, yeah. you know, even Mr. Brainwash's account of it. So and Banksy seemed a little bit defeated at the end or at least puzzled by it. But he still put out this movie and probably made a lot of money off of this movie, which is now itself a piece of art about someone who tried to make art. But it wasn't really art, even though it is kind of on some level. So, yeah, it's there's so much. <laughs> right. Yeah, the there's exploded. so much. There's so much going on here that. I don't even know if there is a point to this movie except to experience it, to think about it, to talk about it, and see how that guides you through the world. I right? mean, it, it could be as simple as just like, what is art? <laughs> like, quite frankly, that's the whole point of it is just what I don't know. You decide. Is it art? Is any of this art? Do you guys want well, to hear some hoax? Oh, I'm sorry, please. I was going to say, like, I think it was in 2008 eight or right around a little bit before this movie came out there's another documentary called my kid could paint that and i don't think i've <laughs> yes. watched it in 15 years but the whole idea was from what i remember a guy and his like little girl they made these paintings of like little child's drawings ended up selling them in galleries for untold you know amounts of money and it just raised to these kind of questions that banksy and by extension mr brainwash are like does it even matter what it is or is it kind of like the stock market? Like it's about what you can tell people it's worth. And then how big can you make that? How long can you make that gravy train and get out while they're getting still good? Speaking that's of a, NFTs. That's a great yeah. comparison to, to me. And I, I'd say it is very much like the stock market. It's like 
Because because anybody can make a silk screen of uh, with a Marilyn Monroe wig on, you know, Ralph Nader, whoever you want to choose. But uh, it really is about the figure who's doing it, the, the cash and the, and the mystique behind them. And, and are they friends with Banksy? You know, is there a documentary in which they're featured? Because I bet once this came out, uh, neck face and, and like swoon and all them be like became meteoric. Like, you know, <laughs> the meteoric uh, rise of poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a kid's book right there and that's what always <laughs> pissed me off about art because you know i'm always i've always been prickly around the edges it's very hard for me to make new friends it's hard to, for me to retain friends you have to play the games you have to make friends you have to make a name for yourself and cash and mystique and and all that shit really to become a successful artist and i i, I just i'll never get there it's just because it's i'm me i'm just wired this is how i'm wired I think this whole scene is fucking bullshit, but I can really look at a Banksy and go, that's beautiful. You know, I'm really conflicted about it. So. Well, it, 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 a lot of it is time and place and who, you know, and, you know, getting lucky. I mean, you look at, we talked about Jean-Michel Basquiat earlier in the show, yeah. but early mm -hmm. in the documentary, there's a very, again, I don't know what it means or if the person who was, I think, I don't think it was space and bear. I think it was one of the other you know artists they tag Samo with the little crown yes, and that was yes. Basquiat's signature. I saw it's like, that. What are you doing? Are you evoking Basquiat? Are you just like, Oh, we're making a documentary about street art. So I'm going to say, Hey, this is a reference to something. It's like, I get that reference. You know, you know, I, I didn't Evans like style. that. Yeah. I saw that and I did not appreciate the, the, the Samo reference, you know, and like or, I thought this would, uh huh. Well, but it's also a deliberate choice on Banksy's part to include that scene in the movie. So is yeah. it meant for an audience who doesn't know the fuck? Who is Jean-Michel Basquiat? What ah, is Samo? To say, like oh my a, God, I wonder what that means. Right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you're right. It is like it's a, it's a way to honor him. And I'm just kind of looking at it differently. But or you know, is it just more like that yeah. whole idea of what we're talking about? Like art doesn't have to make sense. It could be anything. So you've got someone who's not into art at all watching this documentary and seeing someone mm -hmm. spray paint Samo like, yeah, see, honey, art doesn't have to make sense. But if you're educated about it, you say it does make sense because it was a signature of a different street artist, you know, 40 years ago who was a student of Warhol and go down that it's... rabbit hole. That moment. So, in other words, that moment is edited into the movie so that people uh, can look at their spouses and say, "You know, that's actually a reference to an artist that uh, you probably don't know about," and you can look cool during the I, screening. I may have fucking done that last night, and I guarantee <laughs> you, I did not look cool. My wife. I, was like, that, that's the thing. John, you never John, do look John cool when these things are you talking happen. about? Yeah. <laughs> you you always want to look so cool with the one yeah. little stupid piece of movie trivia or or art trivia right. that you know. And fuck, does it never work out? It's all, um, and then and then you got to call them out on it, like, oh, I guess you didn't think that was funny. Or it didn't not that this, cool. and then they're like, I don't oh. think this, <laughs> I don't think this end. documentary uh, uh, didn't work. I will say though, it's easier for me to digest uh, when it is a narrative feature. To if, like, if you were talking about, uh, you said that uh, my kid can draw that, which is a documentary. But if that was a narrative feature with like J.K. Simmons and a young up and coming actress about like the sub uh, subjectivity and about art and the commercialism of it. I would love that and I would eat it up. But the fact that it hits so close to home and it's so real just pisses me off. You know what I mean? Well, I need I, it filtered I, through a uh, narrative feature. You fiction. Know? Yeah. Well, I got to say, if you haven't seen the movie Pollock, starring Ed Harris and, and uh, 
Jennifer Connelly, I think, was in about it. one of the best voiceover comedians out there, Kevin Pollack. And he <laughs> yeah, yeah. does walk in. He does I, uh, uh, a lot of Christopher Walken, yeah. actually. No, I, I saw Basquiat, loved it, the Julian Schnabel, uh, mm-hmm. but I did not see Pollock. Uh, so worth a watch. Here's the thing. it's, And I only saw it once, and I didn't mm-hmm. think it worked as a drama, but damn it, if it doesn't give you an appreciation for Jackson Pollock, because it does show Ed Harris like in the studio making these works of art, it's very easy as a newbie to like look at a Pollock and be like, Wait, someone paid a hundred thousand dollars for just like, oh, it's just a bunch of paint splashed across the canvas. No, there's a whole process to it and putting in a lot of hard work. It's deceptively simple. And that's the one thing that I really I became a Jackson Pollock fan where I wasn't one after coming out of that movie. You made me think of one more digression, if I may, and that is just how interested in the advent of social media, people are in the creation of something, sometimes more so than the fucking end product. And um, I was talking to my wife about this recently because I just like to put out my drawings. I just like to put the end product. But now the thing is you have to show the overhead of you in fast motion drawing the fucking drawing for people to really eat it up on social media. Uh, Do you agree with that, guys? You notice that? Like the process sometimes is more important. I wouldn't, I don't agree with that statement that the process is more important, but I have seen a rise in it. The, feels like it sometimes. What, what, to I'll the tell Jackson you, Pollock point, you know, I'll tell you what I really don't like about it is because I come across those on TikTok and you'll see like the final product for like two seconds and then it goes to like the the drawing of the thing. And then they like at the very end, you get one second of the final product again. So like it's mm-hmm. mostly just the process and not the final product where I'm like, no, so pause on longer... that final product so I can actually admire it. Yeah. Yeah. No, if I don't it... like, I don't care about seeing people's process. I don't care how you draw. Just show me what you drew. Okay. I like the process videos. Um, my friend, Jeff York is a great cartoonist. Um, he recently started doing TikTok videos of his process, but what he'll do, because he's also a film critic, he'll review the movie that he's doing the caricature of while That's he's drawing cool. it. Yeah. It's really neat. But I think, I mentioned that Mr. Brainwash is sort of the unwitting father of or forefather of AI because <laughs> and, and this is why I think the pro, maybe this possibly is why these process videos are becoming so relevant is because AI artwork has taken evolutionary leaps and bounds even from just a year ago. Right. So now you can not mm-hmm. only just like render something with a few key commands, you can animate it. You can have mm-hmm. photos of like political figures and like, wait, is that fucking real? I don't know. So mm-hmm. to see that layer of authenticity, like, no, this was intentional. It was created and designed by a person, you know, maybe using reference material, but not just like some key commands. Like, give me a Ronald McDonald, you know, crossing the Potomac in the style of that painting. You can spit right. that out in two seconds and it looks like something you can hang in a gallery when we get that bit of mr brainwash's assistant with the art book is like literally yeah uh i want a Marilyn monroe and a mr spock put it in photoshop and spit it out that yep. took like an hour whereas you can do that now in about two minutes it really it's becoming important like that- this documentary i think is going to be looked at way more you know with a lot lot more scrutiny in another 10 years than it is even right now yeah no that the ai element actually is a really good point because that is like those process videos are basically like the artistic version of pick or it didn't happen you know like 
we mm. so many people could just be like I, you got to show me that you actually made that for me to believe that you made it which sucks that you have yeah. to show that proof totally but, yeah it's almost like the new the new version of the copyright symbol like this was made by an actual artist a person rather than a key command right yeah yeah well hey uh i mean i think we did it right yeah that's pretty much it i just wanted to read one uh regarding the hoax of this movie uh, an interview with uh, of all places suicide girls producer jamie de cruz and editor chris king denied the film was a hoax and expressed their growing frustration with speculation it was king said for a while we all thought it was quite funny but it went on for so long it was a bit disappointing when it became basically accepted as fact that it was all just a silly hoax i felt it was a shame that the whole thing was going to be dismissed like that really because we knew it was true Cruz said, it pisses me off when you read new serious newspapers that the film is a documentary. That's not true. So uh, they are adamant that it's real. Uh, even Geta says the movie's real. Banksy captured me becoming an artist. In the end, I became his biggest work of art, which is something he would say. Um, so it's, hey, I, I, this, me, this is me at the end saying I could be totally wrong and probably am with my little conspiracy theories. It just seems like all the makings of a narrative and a creation are there. It's just sometimes, I guess, truth is stranger than fiction. I'm Dan Eden. See you guys later. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with uh, with those statements. And uh, yeah, it, it is a little too perfect, but maybe that's just the reality, the odd reality. It, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is it could have been it could all be real and just shaped in the edit down to those parallels of like establishing the the, the boutique clothing store and, and how that kind of informed his later, you know, the way he marked up his artwork um, or it could all be a hoax. But as I said earlier, it almost doesn't matter because it's a hell of a film. Like we've been sitting here talking about it for just about the length of the runtime. Yeah. I guarantee that if we had three more hours, we could talk. <laughs> we could talk yeah. ad nauseum about what it means, right? Um, yeah. Hey, there's a there's a um, uh, 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 what do you, what do you fucking call it? The recommendation. That's not the word I'm looking for. Doesn't matter. I had a brain fart. I fucked <laughs> up, uh, Mister Brain Fart. <laughs> Mister Brain Fart. That, yeah, that's gonna be my. <laughs> I am Mister Brain Fart. Mister Brain Fart. You. Uh, I'm running the show from now on. <laughs> Mr. Brain Fart is running the show. <laughs> you you go. Uh, that is going to be it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ian, for being on one more time before we officially end our uh, our run of 90 under 90. We have, what, seven more, I think, to go here so. on this, this little old show. Um, well, I, I'm going to be sad to see. You what are you guys going to do afterwards? You can't just not not oh no no oh no. no we're always you know we've said before we don't ever go away for good yeah. you know there'll be something of ours i mean golden apron will be coming out eventually um yeah. and uh which has a banksy character i should have mentioned that earlier but that's, like one of yeah. the chefs is a our version of banksy in this universe but he's um, a food artist yeah and uh love it so yeah, and you know we'll be still doing our ninety over nineties. It's just you're going to get us far less frequently than you've been once a us. month. Yeah. Movies we love, uh, yeah, that's what's happening. Because uh, frankly, I'm I'm 
I'm getting sick of listening to myself every single week. I, I, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, that will be it for us uh, for this week. Thank you for listening. I am Jeremy Eden. I'm Dan Eden. I am Ian Simmons of kicking the seat. Yes. Listen to uh, check out his uh, YouTube channel and his website and you guys go live. How often do you go live? Like every Wednesday is it or pretty much um i do like a bunch of shows during the week but we try and do lives on wednesdays it's been a little bit off for the last couple weeks because i got sick but it's coming back yeah well check out ian and uh check out us next week that's a wrap what do you mean you're out of chocolate how can that be